Hello and welcome to Show Me The Money, the podcast that looks at the business side of movies and TV with me, Jess Robinson, and the lovely Stephen Follows. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm good, thank you. Um, Did you have a lovely Easter? Uh, I, I, not really. I'm trying to get from Nepal time on Nepali time onto New York time, and so which is right. a, a ten and three quarter hours. So I have no idea what time it is, what day it is, where I am, and what I'm doing. But is um, it your aim to be in a different country every time we record an episode? It is. I mean, the, the budget for this podcast is so high that the <laughs> guy said to me, "Spend it any way you want." Did he not say the same to you? Oh no, they said so- stay in home. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I might be spending your budget, but if you Damn do. It. If you do hear noises of, of New York outside, it is it is real. It's not a it's not a wow. track I've put on. You're so glamorous. Um, so we have three really interesting stories uh, this week. The first one uh, is Sonic the Hedgehog Two has enjoyed the best opening weekend ever for a movie based on a video game. Tell me all about this, please, Stephen. Well, this is this is quite impressive, and it's impressive for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog two, the movie, is something that would have excited my thirteen year old self. I'm I'm now less. It's worn off a little bit, I'll be honest. So sure. I ha- I haven't seen this. Uh, I haven't seen the previous one. Um, but it it's uh, yeah, it's doing really well, and it's got a few things about it that really make it more, uh, you know more interesting than just a uh, film does well at box office. So right. the first thing is. It has done very well when we're seeing our family's going to go back to the cinema. You know, families are a very big part of cinema going. And actually, it's done terrifically well. So that kind of indicates that perhaps, you know, the return to cinemas that we've wanted and post-COVID and all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of cool that there is a movie that did well. Um, It's also video game movies, uh, they're not great and they don't tend to do well. So this Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is already the 13th highest grossing video game movie of all time worldwide. Uh, And so it's already gone through past all of the other ones, most of the other ones already, and it's only just open. So doing very well. That's one thing that's really cool. Mm -hmm. The second thing is it's a sequel that's outperformed its original, which... That's mad, isn't it? Yeah, it does happen, but not that often. And this one has opened like almost 22% above the first and over a shorter period of time because the previous one was over a long weekend. So that's kind of amazing because you do tend to assume that sequels will be will perform less well because you've only got the same group of people that saw the first one minus anyone who doesn't want to see this one. But actually this, like um, there are kids films that do this, like Despicable Me did all right in the box office, but then did really well at home entertainment. And then by the time mm-hmm. the sequel and the Minions and all that came out, it performed huge, you know, a lot, lot better. So right. it's one of those things. It's been a grower, not a shower, uh, the <laughs> first one. And um, and we also see that with this one as well, because this we're talking about is the opening weekend is usually where movies and cinemas make most of their box office. Not all the money they'll make, but all the money they'll make in cinemas. A lot of that happens in the first weekend because... Mm-hmm. The reason you go to the cinema partly is because it's zeitgeist and exciting and all that stuff, but also because that's when all the promotion is. And then the next week, there's a new movie out that might distract you. And so the drop from the first weekend to the second weekend, if you is usually quite considerable. And for studios, if they have a drop that's about 50%, so if it made a million in the first week if weekend, if it makes half a million in the second weekend, they're usually quite happy with that. But this one has only dropped by about a third. So what's kind of amazing, because it means that not only was it anticipated, it then 
outperformed. People started talking about it and wanting to see it. And so it has the sort of reverse you'd expect for perhaps a video game movie where you'd expect that people go and see it because it's in the news and then they're like, oh, it wasn't very good. And then they tell everyone and then no one else goes to see it. Whereas this is sort of doing the inverse to some degree. I mean, I don't want to say that like this is the best movie of all time, but it's just <laughs> it's surprisingly it's doing well. Uh, and then that's that's the last thing about it that is just quite impressive, which is that um, video game movies, they're, they're not good. Like generally, and, and I, I can say this not as someone who's watched them all, but as someone who's done the analysis. So I did um, a bit of research a few years ago where I looked at the meta score, which is sort of it's out of 100, and it's the average yeah. of all of the film critics, um, and what they gave um, video game movies. So the games that, sorry, movies that are based on video games. So at the higher end, like the movies that always had the consistently higher scores were things like movies based on musicals or operas or short films or real life. They tended to get about 63 out of 100 on average. Mm -hmm. So that's like, what, three out of five on average. Mm -hmm. What do you think video games got then? If it's 63 for for musicals and opera, what's it for video games? Is it going to be something ridiculous like one? <laughs> no, but now I'm disappointed it's not because that would be awesome. No, it's <laughs> it's 32, which is like, what's that? One and a half out of five on average. Oh, on there average. we go. That's what I thought. One one out of five. Oh, sorry. No, it's so 32 out of 100. But you're right. Okay, if we go back to using stars out ratio. of five. Yeah, all right. <laughs> we'll do that then. Yes, you were right, Jess. <laughs> but no, it's well done way. for misunderstanding the question. <laughs> and still, get, hey, if you get in life, if you get the right answer, it doesn't matter how you got there. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's kind of. I mean, they do. Wow. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Why do you? Th I mean, I don't have an obvious answer as to why they're on on average bad, but they do seem to be. What do you reckon? I am trying to think of what other movies I've seen that have been based on video games. Um, I did see Sonic 1 because my stepson, who has just turned 11, is absolutely, you know, it's perfect for him. We've not seen Sonic 2 yet, but I'm sure I'll be dragged along to see it. <laughs> I wonder if... I don't know. The thing is, usually with a, a, a script or something, you would write the story and the characters would come alive with the story because you'd be telling the story. This way round, you've got the characters and then you've got to make it into a story, don't you? So maybe it's because it's approaching a bit of a backwards way? I yeah. don't know. It, no, it could be. I mean, and that, that would make sense in the sense that you have to, like, especially with things like Tomb Raider and Uncharted, or you have these kind of plots that you have to follow that are quite cinematic anyway, but they were mm. created not for, for movies, they were created for the game. But, I mean, the, the thing is that that's the same for to some degree, I mean, I guess I was going to say it's the same for musicals and operas, but I guess they are designed to be closer to a movie in the sense they're a couple of hours and you sit there and watch them. But, I mean, I think it does have a lot to do with the audience. I think the kind of people that go and see films based on true life events or factual books or operas do tend to be... More intelligent. <laughs> I was going to say posher, richer and snobbier. But, you know, yeah. But no, they tend to be people that will go and see... Okay, so let's think about these two audiences, right? So the yeah. the video game audience uh, traditionally yeah. will go in uh, to see anything that's out. If it's heavily marketed to them, they'll grow. They'll go, go in groups of five or six. Yeah. They buy lots of Coke and lots of popcorn, right? So mm -hmm. the cinemas love them. Whereas the audience who go and see things based on musicals and operas, maybe mm -hmm. they go once every two or three months when there's mm -hmm. a five-star review in The Guardian and The Independent, yeah. and they buy a small cappuccino and they smuggle in their own Maltesers. You know, <laughs> these these are not good people. These are bad people When if yeah. you're a cinema operator. And so yeah. I can imagine... 
that it's got something to do with the movability. Like the musicals or operas need to be good. They're what the um. This is a this is a a term that the industry uses as a pejorative, but actually it sounds awful, but actually isn't actually bad. Which is execution dependent, which okay. means it needs to be good. So right. if if a musical isn't good, it probably won't survive like it might do but it probably won't on average whereas if a video game movie is bad you can easily out you know cope with that through marketing through the tie-in deals or because they've got an existing fan base who are going to go and see it no matter what and and aren't as discerning so because the other um right down the end of of how bad these movies are the the second worst source for scripts is religious texts so you could argue it's a similar audience as far as I'm not actually going to see it as a movie per se. I'm seeing it as an extension of my belief fan base if it's video games, all that kind of stuff. Right. Maybe it's you know how much we can be moved by marketing. I don't know. Very interesting. Ooh, out of um, interest, and you might not know the answer to this, in which case, can you tell me next week? But um, <laughs> I would love to know what other sequels have outperformed the original film do you know any i you know what i'll come back to you next week because i'd love to know that i'm a data yeah. person and i and i not only would i enjoy the data i'm also not going to speculate but oh tune in next week to find out the answer <laughs> to the nerdiest question with an even nerdier answer i can't wait it's a sequel like the answer is a sequel to this answer right so it should yes. outperform the original let's go with that Gorgeous. I love it. Okay, story number two. An actor and writer-director have created the world's first decentralised movie studio. Now, I read a tiny bit about this, but it makes my brain melt. Can you please (laughs) explain it um, in layman's terms? I don't really understand it at all. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) No. Uh, No, I can't. No, I can't. I can't. It's just, it involves a whole load of emergent technologies, which Mm -hmm. to some degree... No one understands. Some people do. It's not completely understandable, but there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of noise and a lot of misinformation and all that sort of stuff. And also they're mm-hmm. emergent technologies. So we don't know which will work or how they work or how they'll evolve. So there's a sort of, uh, first of all, it makes it makes sense that you, it doesn't make any sense, as in most people who read all this stuff go, I kind of get it, but I don't kind of don't, because it is really hard to understand. Right. Um, and it is changing. Um, but on the other hand, actually, the principles behind all of this are actually quite Straightforward. So this is yeah. um, actor Matthew Lillard, who I remember from Scream, mm-hmm. but perhaps people remember from Scooby Doo as well. Um, and I director Bill. Fortune to have watched that. <laughs> Which one? The Scooby Doo. The Scooby Doo. Just um, yeah. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> I'm sorry to have brought up such a t- triggering memory. <laughs> we'll go back to Sonic soon. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, yeah and uh, he's created. A, he's teamed up with a director, and they're making a decentralized movie studio. Uh, they're setting it up as what's called a DAO, a DAO, which is a decentralized autonomous organization, mm-hmm. and that basically means that uh, everyone who owns uh, a part of it, which I'll come back to in a minute, they can all vote on what's going on. And there isn't, in theory, anybody at the top, uh, or there isn't, you know, if they're all of the, it's an ultimate democracy, that would be the concept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they've called their DAO uh, Midnight Movie Club, MMC. I'm going to see how many acronyms we can get in. So there'll be a Great. quiz at the end for acronyms. Oh, God. All right. Um, and so when the way that you own some of this DAO is you buy an NFT, non-fungible token. 
Right. Um, <laughs> I feel like it's sand in our hands already. But yeah. um, so this uh, an, an NFT is all the rage at the moment. And uh, these are sort of digital products that you can own. And so they don't physically exist. They often, in other spaces, they, they typically, the most famous ones, the Board Yacht Club, have these sort of grotesque, weird cartoons. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that you own the, the link, that everyone knows you own it. So you could actually copy and paste or screenshot or copy the, the image, but you can't copy the ownership of it. People know through the blockchain, uh, they yeah. know that you own it. So the details of this doesn't matter so much because, as I uh-huh. said, it's confusing and it's changing. But what's interesting is that the idea of getting lots of people, in this case, about five and a half thousand people. In fact, it's 5,555 people, which yeah. I've tried to work out why is that number. And it yeah. comes up a lot with NFTs. And I can only assume it's like in Chinese culture where 888 is quite lucky. I, I have no idea. If anyone knows, write in. Tell me why it's 5555. But um, so what happens is there's, there's about five and a half thousand tokens. And you can buy one, um, and then for about four hundred dollars, something like that, right. and then you will have the right to vote on various things to do in this DAO, mm. in this organization. And so you can get heavily involved in it. You also get access to uh, behind the scenes and other elements. And so this is basically crowdfunding, in a sense. Then crowdfunding's been around for a while, and okay. lots of lots of people giving you relatively small amounts of money. But the idea here is that it's super like voting and super dem- democracy, but I mean, I looked into it and I, it's difficult. I'm trying not to be cynical because so many of these things that, that involve new technologies are confusing because the technology is still being worked out. And I, and I certainly don't think there's anything wrong or suspicious or immoral going on here, but there's definitely a layer of hype that you sort of need to brush away. So mm. there was reporting saying this is the first decentralized movie studio and it's absolutely not. There've been loads of others. Most, Very few of them have actually worked or like a lot of the ones I found were quite um, static or like, you know, hadn't been updated in 2017 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but this particular one they're doing, they've already picked the film they're going to do. And so he's going to star yeah. in it and the director's going to direct in it. So already they're defining what it is. Yeah. Um, the, the actual organization is not actually bound by the votes. So they could just decide not to follow the votes. Um, the way that they're using the vote, they're, they're sort of gathering votes is on the blockchain, which is actually pretty bad for the environment because it involves a lot of computing power. And so there's a right. huge environmental cost to some types of NFTs and digital currencies. Some have a different method of working. But here, you could imagine they could have just had a website where you log in and just hit a vote, which would have been fine. But actually, the way they're doing it is environmentally unfriendly. Um, and it's unclear what the value is to the people buying it. So like, you do get behind the scenes, but you don't get profits. I don't know whether people have picked this up or not, but it's the sort of, I mean, the press but when if this movie makes money which it probably won't because most movies don't but let's say it does yeah. uh, it if it makes money it'll be plowed back into making more movies they want to make two or three a year would they and get a producer credit of some sort maybe or I just don't, i don't think so i mean 5,055 5, producer credits i mean it, it may or may not be the worst but uh, has ever been but it's just not so you're doing it to be part of something, which, by the way, is fine. Like, it's a private community. You get to chat on Discord. You get to vote. You get to, like, get all of the behind-the-scenes. Like, that's actually really cool. That's what Kickstarter is, right? Mm. You give a small amount of money, and you get some sort of benefit, and then you get to fill it part of something, and you've supported something. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the the press, for whatever reason, have, in some cases, said that this is the first movie decentralized movie studio. And actually, it's almost none of those words. <laughs> almost everything in that sentence is wrong. Um, and so I found a few other examples of NFT-based 
project. Oh, yeah. So Kevin Smith's got a new film coming out called Kilroy's here that you have to own the NFT. Again, 5,555 buyers can buy an NFT mm. to watch it. Um, Anthony Hopkins was in a movie last year called Zero Contract. Um, Mia Kulis has, has made a, an, a weed-themed cartoon series online, which she raised $8 million. Wow. Um, and then here's something that I... Now, I'm sorry if this is... If this is uh, wrong, but I believe I believe you might find this interesting. The guys that make Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Yes. Uh, I, okay. Good. Good. Sounds like Tell I'm not. I was really worried. <laughs> so if yeah. you buy an NFT, you get unedited episode clips. Oh wow! Is that enough? I don't know. Is that yeah, is that what you were I, after? <laughs> yeah, but um, do I, I don't know if I care that much. The the thing that really interests me about this is the people that can vote can mm-hmm. actually vote on who gets cast and uh like it I, I read just i skim read something and it said about they could even vote on the props what if you've got a <laughs> load of idiots like me who are just going to vote on something really stupid just to see it in the movie or Boaty vote on the worst person because it's funny or whatever. <laughs> well, face. exactly let's be honest it's not going to be worse than hollywood casting but but no you <laughs> you're right i get that sometimes where you know you go to, sometimes you go to a nice restaurant and then they give you a dessert that's like deconstructed uh, banoffee pie and they've got all the elements everywhere and they're like no you put this together I, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're the chef you make this well <laughs> I enjoy it like this yeah. is your job yeah. so voting on props for me sounds terrible but it's about a fan base and if you're yeah. really into it then I I mean I, I don't know the level they'll go f- for here and it's not contractual so you can totally imagine that if there was too many Jesses voting they would have to come up with some other alternative like they did with Boaty McBoatface where they called it the David Attenborough <laughs> and you're like oh very well played very well played who's going to get rid of that but yeah. I, yeah I don't know like it's but the thing is there is so it's hard to it's hard to really get wrap your head around how mm. much madness and ridiculousness there is around nfts at the moment within film and i i found i got to tell you the story this is such a fun example so there was a movie out recently called dune which Mm -hmm. based on the book um and was uh i'll say a remake but it probably wasn't it's an a new adaptation of the books and there was one in the 70s now there was a failed attempt to make uh a particular version of this book of, of, of this book in the in the seventies, and to do this, they put together a huge like um, mood book almost. It had loads of things in it that was about like what this. It was to, they put it together to try and impress movie studios, and it had um, Dali was going to be an actor. He was going to be the highest paid actor of all time. That was why he oh, did wow. choose to do it. And this book had concept art and set designs, character designs, storyboards for the whole movie. And it's this huge book, and they made about twenty of them, and they gave them to studio execs to say, look, this is how cool. Uh, our version of Doom will be. Let's let's make it right. It's a yeah. physical book in the past. Now there aren't many of those books left. They, they think there's about ten or twenty of them still out there. And there was one that recently went out for uh, was bought for twenty five thousand dollars. And there was one more recently at Christie's that was about forty thousand dollars. But mm. a DAO got together, an anonymous group of people put together what they call the Spice DAO. Spice being the, the thing that they're trading in Dune. And they bought a copy of this book at the beginning of this year. I'm going to ask you again because I always love doing this. So, how much do you think they bought this book for? A copy of this book for? So well, the- I, then I think it's going to be more than Christie's. I'm going to say a million. Two point six. Two point six. Two point six million. So basically. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't by the way the best thing is this isn't the crazy part of the story yet <laughs> this is the setup 
So there is this book. There is a small number of these books that are going for about twenty-five to forty to forty thousand dollars. These guys get together, raise real money, turn it into fake money with crypto or different type of money, and then they buy it for two point six million. And then this is the best bit. I know they triumphantly tweet, "We bought the book, and our plan is." which they said this at the beginning, but our plan is convert the book into an NFT. So presumably scan it, take photos of it, burn the original copy. No, don't do that. <laughs> and then turn it into an animated TV series, right? So there is a load of madness in this. This is a three-point plan. Number one, turn it into an NFT. All right, weird, but whatever. Number two, burn the book. And like you said, don't burn the book. Number three, turn it into an animated series. Now, the reason why that third one is the craziest out of all of this, which it doesn't sound like it on the face of it, but the detail is so funny because they basically said, look, we've just spent 2.66 million of, of our anonymous donors' monies. And we're now going to turn to a TV series. And then the rights holders for Dune went, but no, you just bought a copy of the book. You didn't buy any of the copyright. You you know that, right? It's important to us that you know that. And they went, um, oh. <laughs> so basically, oh. it's like you buying a copy of a Batman comic and going, I'm going to make Batman. This is madness. <laughs> I really want to do some of the voices in the animation. <laughs> Well, they've got a lot of money. Well, actually, no, they don't have a lot of money anymore because they bought, they bought it all a very, very expensive book. That's all they bought. They didn't buy any rights, any permissions, anything. Whoa! And this all happened in public with real money. And like, so what's crazy about this is not just that stupid like stuff like this happens, but it's at such a high level, like millions and millions. And then also that nobody called this plan out beforehand. And I don't know whether no one was paying attention, whether they weren't honest about their plans or whether just... Like, I don't, I don't know. Or whether I, I, some people dropped a lot of balls along the way. Um, but yeah, so that is the level we're at. So when we go back to our, our, our story about Matthew Lillard doing a decentralized movie studio, first of all, it doesn't sound so bonkers. No, it's boring now. Yeah, boring now, right. Yeah. <laughs> but second of all, it's just in that hype. And so ultimately, if they make a good movie, then no one will care. It's crowdfunded. It'll do well. Um, I think it was Wish You Were Here. Wish I Was Here. I can't remember what it's called, but um, there's a Zach Braff film, which is a sort of thematic uh, sequel to his previous one. And he crowdfunded that. And the Veronica Mars movie, that was crowdfunded. Both of them, Spike Lee did one. All of them had sort of had over a million dollars of crowdfunding. And But when they came out in cinemas and on TV and DVD, they just looked like normal movies. Just, who, who cares how it was funded? So behind, so actually, I don't think this matters. In a, in, it only matters whether the movie is good and good for the market. And mm. if this is how fans want to engage with content, then great. It's just not, it's not really a technology story, which is what I think everybody wants it to be. Yeah, um, right. But so, yeah, I don't know where, where it'll go. As I said, most of the NFT-based or DAO-based existing studio stuff that people have done have fallen on their asses. But it could have been because they didn't really have the kind of backing. Matthew Lillard's a big name. I'm sure he's thought this through. Mm. It might well be that, you know, when, Zach, when when the average person does crowdfunding, they can't raise a million. When Zach Braff or Spike Lee does it, they can. Maybe this will do really well. Um, but time will tell. And um, it's definitely something to watch where you intersect old Hollywood and new technologies and stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's blown my mind. Have they burned <laughs> the book yet? No, they, you know, they... they they were trying to say at the end of all of this, when people pointed out, you know, you don't have the rights. They went, yeah, 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 we knew that, but we're not going to burn the book now. And they went, oh, so if you knew that, why have you changed your plans? And they went, uh, you know, let's vote on a new thing to do. And so they're, wow. I think the current thing is they're voting on what else to do with any money they have left over or whatever. But no, they, they have officially not burned the book. I would imagine they're hoping they can sell the book for 
2.67 million. Uh, I imagine they will sell it for Good about $40,000. Good luck. Oh my gosh. What, what a brilliant, brilliant story. That was, oh, that was fabulous. Um, story three also sounds quite bonkers to me. Uh, the makers of the new Top Gun movie, Top Gun Maverick, shot as much footage as all three of the Lord of the Rings movies combined. How? <laughs> they just left the camera running one weekend. And then... <laughs> no, yeah, this is... The Lord of the Rings is already long. And then you've yeah. got the extended cut. And then you've got the idea that this was all three of them. And then you've got this idea that what we're talking about here is shooting ratios. So it's not about the length of the movie. It's not that Top Gun is... I think the three Lord of the Rings together director's cut is probably about, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it's about 10 hours. Um, yeah. And ain't no one got time for that, I can assure yeah. you. Like, I'm I'm really not. I, would, I haven't seen the Hobbit trilogy. I would if it was shorter, but I haven't got time for that. But, um, uh, but yeah, so if this isn't about like how long the actual movies are. This is about how much raw footage they shoot. And it kind of makes sense that you're going to have more footage in the final film because, you know, when you come to do a scene, let's say the, the in the final movie that the scene is a minute long, you've got to turn on the cameras, get everyone ready, and then they do the lines, and then maybe you turn the cameras off a few, you know, 10 seconds later to have a bit of space in the edit, and then maybe you do it like five more takes. And so let's say that was a minute-long scene. You've done five takes, each of them, let's say, a minute and a half. So, yeah, you've ended up with a lot more footage. You're like That's a shooting ratio of about three to one. And that would be... That would be really impressive. Um, the shooting ratio of films like, I don't know, like I've got Argo was about 87 to 1. Uh, Full Metal Jacket, 60 to 1. Uh, Hateful Eight, 30 to 1. So these are quite high numbers already. Mm. And you have to remember that a lot of this stuff in the past was shot on film, which was much more expensive. Whereas now if you shoot too much, you've wasted your time shooting it, but you've wasted a bit of hard drive, hard drive space and a bit of processing. But ultimately, it's not the end of the world whereas previously you had to physically have film and you had to process it and things like that but the numbers that we're starting to talk about here are bonkers i think it's 360 to one meaning wow. they shot for each minute of final footage they shot 360 minutes of film so there's also you've got to imagine this setup time for each of these shots this is just the stuff stored on the hard drives and the the basic answer, part well, there's a few answers. One is because they could, like, why no one was stopping them. They had Tom Cruise in the Top Gun sequel, so they just could shoot loads of cool stuff, and they wanted to do it many times to get just the perfect moment. But the big reason is because they're doing it in fighter jets. So Tom Cruise has decided he's not going to fake anything anymore, um, in his movies at least. Um, and so he has then said, right, well, if I'm going to be flying a fighter jet, I'm going to be flying a fighter jet. So they've put six cameras in the cockpit of a fighter jet, not known as somewhere that's quite spacious to start with. And these are, they're not officially IMAX cameras, but they're shooting that can work for IMAX because IMAX is a standard. And this is just very big 6K kind of cameras with very, very expensive, complicated lenses. And um, there's six of these cameras in the cockpit. And then he's going around flying, doing, you know, Tom Cruise stuff. And then in the end, they get like, you know, after like a one day of filming, let's say they do 12 or 14 hours worth of work, all the setup, and they're getting around 30 seconds of good footage. So oh, that's going to be like edited together and it's going to be, you know, and like that's going to be like a week's work. But it'll be amazing because that's what he's doing, right? Like that's one of those things that you can't really fake. It's one of the reasons why you go and see expensive films. I mean, this film's going to cost like 150 million and there's that's some of where the money goes you know um because it just takes them such a long time to shoot it and to get it just right um 
But it's kind of, I mean, you can go the other way. There's a there's a film, a really, really good low-budget film called Primer, which mm-hmm. won Sundance like 10 years ago. I'm trying to remember, 2009 maybe. And it's a time travel movie, and I highly recommend it. And they had a ratio of about below two to one because they had no money. They shot it on about mm-hmm. $7,000. And they shot it on film. Uh, and so you, the director's in it, and in the director's commentary, he says, "Oh yeah, watch this scene because you can see me saying the word cut, because <laughs> they couldn't afford like the main the main cost they had was film stock, and so they couldn't do oh we'll just do another take or whatever, um, because it just wouldn't would you know be too expensive for them to buy the stock and process it. So they have two to one, and Top Gun Maverick probably the other end of the spectrum is on three hundred and sixty to one, and so." Wow. But, I mean, what have you experienced when you when you come to shoot TV? Like, what do you yeah. reckon the ratio is for like scenes to final footage? Because I don't know TV as well. I mean, it depends well. how uh, well I've remembered my lines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the problem. So hold on. If I look at all the episodes of things you're in, yeah. is the shooting oh, ratio much worse? That. Please, please do that. <laughs> no, I think I'm quite efficient actually, because um, I'm, I'm I'm a people pleaser. So I'm I'm there having learnt my lines and everybody else's. But. Um, I don't know. No, we would probably, if it was like, if it was Dead Ringers or, you know, I'm trying to think back in the day or, because I've done lots of live TV and I've done loads of animation. But yeah, I reckon probably we do maybe four or five takes mm. or maybe we'd spend, maybe we'd spend about an hour and a half on a three minute sketch yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because it depends. That, then? How, it depends how complicated that is. I mean, I, I that's know, with faffing and maybe eating a few biscuits. Oh, that's essential. That's that's an essential <laughs> part of the process. But I, I think I mean I remember I had a f- uh, friend who used to direct EastEnders, and they would do uh, four episodes, so that's two hours of broadcast television in nine mm-hmm. days. Yeah, which is really quick. Yeah, but one of the ways they're doing that is with multiple cameras. So if you've got three or four cameras shooting the same action. You can do one take, and the editor can still have time to make yeah, the cuts she wants. Um, but and so, but then that also would increase your ratio. If you've got three cameras, then you're shooting three to one straight away because mm-hmm. your two of those cameras are never going to be used um, in any one moment because you're only showing yes, one thing course. at a time. But um, I think it's. I mean, this whole movie though, this Top, Top Gun Maverick has been like one of those uh, yardsticks people are using to measure the the pulse of the industry. So it kept being pushed back. Originally, it was going to come out in July 2019, and then it had a series of dates. It was kept being pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And now it's going to open at the Cannes Film Festival next month. Which you're going to. Which I am going to. That's the big news about Cannes. It's not that, that Tom Cruise will be there with, Tom Gun, Tom, with Top Gun Maverick. It's that I will be Boring. Nah. But the, th- the thing is, it's actually, it's one of these things where, as we, I'm sure we'll talk more about it as we get closer to Cannes. But one mm. of the interesting things is when people are like, oh, Tom Cruise's film's in Cannes. It's being screened in Cannes, as in the, the city of Cannes, the little town. Yeah. But it's not in competition at the Cannes Film Festival. So the Cannes Film Festival will, well, are the people screening it and they're going to have a red carpet premiere and it's like a gala screening. So Tom Cruise will be there and stuff like that. And apparently he hasn't been there much. He's only been there once or twice before. Mm-hmm. And so it will be a big event, but it's not actually in competition. It's not It's not getting the stamp, those laurels saying, oh, this is a good film. This is just saying this is a big film. And I think one of the Shrek films had that honor as well and in the past. But more recently, because of like covid can has been online for the last couple of years and then also venice which is its sort of biggest comp- competitor which is a bit later mm-hmm. in the year 
they they had the premiere of Dune and Power of the Dog. So there is this sort of streak of like industry watching going on that this film has finally come out, which is kind of interesting. And then it's it's going to be in Cannes, which is allowing Cannes to do the big look. We do big movies too thing, and also it's a bit of a sort of yarbucks sucks, sucks, sucks to you to Venice to say hey we got the film you wanted. <laughs> so there's a little bit behind the scenes that's kind of interesting as well as the just bonkers nature of every Tom Cruise films that get made now. I mean the latest Mission Impossible film is has managed to shoot throughout the pandemic which is bonkers but cost i don't know know the number the latest number is but it's probably about twice what the top gun 2 is costing it's probably 300 and something million and so tom cruise is able to create his own gravity in the industry and is often used as a yardstick to see the high end of like what's possible and what's possible here shooting what will become an imax film in real cockpits you know the result is it costs a lot of money and you get a crazy Mm. shooting ratio Wow. I might even be tempted to see it, you know. Before you see Sonic 2? or which, Honestly, oh, honestly, no, which of the two do you want to see? Um, Could my 11-year-old son watch Top Gun Maverick? I don't know what the rating will be. I imagine they'd want to do that. I'd be surprised if... Like, he's pro- Actually, well, maybe not then. It's going to be a 12A, probably. Oh, that's I don't- fine. Just, oh, he's suddenly aged. Well, when uh, let's let's say his birthday is <laughs> tomorrow. Parents do this. Oh, it's fine. I'll be there. <laughs> well, that's what ratings time. are supposed to be, right? It's a communication of telling you like what's kind of in it. I don't think it's going to have like I, I you know, it's going to have fighty fighty and sweary sweary and maybe punchy punchy. I don't think it's going to have sexy sexy or druggy druggy. I yeah. mean, like this is this is the yeah, official. Yeah, they're the definition. ones that you don't want because he knows all of the words. He knows, and he knows <laughs> not to say them, so that's fine. <laughs> Oh God, I'm gonna. I don't want him taken into care. Um, no, that is probably where we should end this wonderful episode. Uh, I'll, uh, my answer is um, uh, Sonic. We'll go and see Sonic. Okay, good. Well, can we have a report back next week as well? You can use some of the voluminous budget we have for the podcast to take two people to the cinema, but no popcorn. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah popcorn you pushes it right over budget. Tax deductible, so you can report back what, what, what Sonic Two was actually like. If I can get to the cinema next week, I will do that, I promise. Awesome. And if I don't, then I'm going to watch... What was the one that you just said? Not June, the other one. A Power of the Dog, the one on Netflix. Yes, I really want to watch that. Well, that's on Netflix, so you can definitely grab that one. That's a Jane Campion film with um, Benedict Cumberbatch. I will be watching that. I've heard it's excellent. Well... Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please don't follow any of my examples as a step-parent. I'm awful. Um, But I am very loved because I'm cool. Thank you so much for listening to Show Me The Money. Uh, If you like it and if you love Stephen as much as I do, then please follow us in your podcast app. Leave us a review and a rating if you have time. Five stars only, please. Uh, And if you have a question that you would like answered on the show, um, email us at showmethemoney.com pod at gmail.com that's show me the money pod at gmail.com no parenting questions just film questions thank you <laughs> um and Stephen will answer them thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful week bye bye